Hey guys, this podcast is part two of my conversation with Matt recapping the NFL draft. If you haven't had a chance to check out part one, that's out as well, where we recap the top 15 picks. This podcast, we're going to go over our favorite picks outside of the top 15, our favorite draft classes, as well as the biggest head scratchers in the draft. And then Carlos comes on at the very end to do a little homer corner where we all talk about our favorite team's draft. So thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoy it. Who are your favorite picks outside of the top 15? It can be any round you want to go to. It's not really a big secret that the Raiders have really kind of missed the boat on their safety play <laughs> the last couple of years. And holy hell did they get lucky because they got Tyree Gillespie in the fourth round. That's, that's going to solve a lot of problems. Um, yeah, they can probably keep Carl Joseph at free and then they can let Tyreek Gillespie play strong. And I mean, they've got the versatility, the versatility for Tyree to, you know, stay deep if he needs to in the center field. Uh, occasionally I wouldn't do that all game, but he can also do two high sets and then he can man up and play run and do all sorts of things because he's, just a really, really good player. Getting that in the fourth round is, man, that's that's a steal. Yeah, they also took Trayvon Morrig in the second. So yep. now you're adding two, yeah. two good young safeties to your secondary. Yeah, and that's honestly probably what they're going to do is they're probably going to put Morrig at free and then let the guys battle it out for strong. I kind of forgot about Morrig although I'm not as excited about him as some people are. He's very talented, just he's not my favorite player. So, but I I just firmly believe that Gillespie is going to end up winning that job, if not this year, the following year. Yeah, throw the, before we go on to the next guy, throw out the Tyree Gillespie stat one more time, the Alabama thing. He covered, well, two different games. And the Florida game, he covered Kyle Pitts, for like half the game and held him to one catch for eight yards. The number one, the number four pick in the draft. And then in the Alabama game on consecutive plays, he makes a goal line stop against Nachi Harris. Then a pass breakup on uh, Devonte Smith, and then he, I believe, got a tackle for loss on Jalen Waddle. Yeah, it was like a screen pass to Waddle. That's just insane. I just, I just love that stat, so I wanted to get it on the podcast and one more time. And that's a guy who runs like a four six. You have to be really smart to get a tackle for loss on Jalen Waddle if you run a four six. If you're that smart, you can play in the NFL. Yeah, it's another one of those guys who plays faster than he runs a 40. Yeah, my first favorite pick is probably is going to come to the surprise of nobody if you listen to the uh, favorite players podcast that we did, because this was my number one favorite player, uh, Rashad Bateman, the wide receiver from Minnesota, going to the Baltimore Ravens at 27 overall. It's just a perfect fit for them. He fits in 
super well with uh, Hollywood Brown and Mark Andrews and the other guys they have there. And he has the potential to be the alpha receiver that Lamar Jackson needs. So I thought this was a little too late for Bateman, but you know, I thought the Ravens might have to trade up a little bit to get him, but I think they should be thrilled with getting him 27th overall. Yeah. I mean, it really improves their receiving core in multiple ways too, because not only are they adding him, but they're able to move their other guys into different roles, specifically Hollywood Brown can play more in the slot and just be that deep threat that he is. You don't, you're not putting him in a position where he's trying to be something that he's not because he's not your typical boundary wide receiver. However, Bateman can do that. And that allows Hollywood Brown to play in the slot where he belongs. I feel like we're going to come back to this draft in a couple years and laugh and be like, you remember that time that Kadarius Tony went seven picks ahead of Rashad Bateman? That was dumb. I don't, I did not like that pick. And I don't even care about the freaking giants. They don't matter to me. <laughs> Just still hurt your feelings. So, uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm a big fan of that. And, you know, I threw out a bunch of advanced stats that suggest that Bateman is going to be productive right away. Even though all those stats point to that, it wouldn't have happened if he wasn't put in the right situation. This is absolutely the right situation for him. So, so it's a great team. They do a really good job or, uh, <clears throat> developing young talent. And they, I think they hit the nail on the head here again. But they've, they've got to develop a better passing offense. It's not just about the players. Like you've, That offense has to grow. And I mean the playbook. <laughs> yeah. Who's your, uh, who's your next pick? So I actually have two more that I really love. Uh, if you are not a Buccaneers fan and you are a fan of a team in the NFC South, you probably hate this pick, or at least you should, because Joe Tryon made his way to the Buccaneers. Holy shit. <laughs> like, he gets to stop and learn from all these old Wiley pass rushers that are still really, really good. And he doesn't even have to start. This man is going to be, when he is like a full-time player, he's going to be getting like 15 sacks a year. Easy. He's got all the tools. We kind of talked about this with the Buccaneers when we did our mock draft. We didn't really know where they were going to go because they don't really have any weaknesses. And so they just, all they did was just strengthen a strength. They're just like, hey, this is rushing the passers, one of our strengths. Let's just rush him more. Look what happened in the Super Bowl when we did that. <laughs> so they're, you know, they're making win now moves, even though they draft Trask in the second round, I think. But this is this is a good move for them. Strengthen the strength, sharpen the steel. Iron sharpens iron. Yep. And then my other one, I, I know you got one more, but my last one was uh, Gregory Rousseau going to the Bills at 30. When we talked about Rousseau on the Players That We Like podcast, or no, was he Controversial Prospects? Or was he Players That We Like? I think he was Controversial Prospects, actually. Yeah, he was Controversial Prospects. I get confused because I like him a lot. But he, you know, we talked about the fact that he has a lot of variability. He can move all along the defensive line. And he goes to a team in the Bills who are very creative and already have a very good defense. 
they're going to move him around. They're going to be creative with him. He's going to play inside. He's going to play outside a little bit. And yeah, it's just, I like the fit. We talked about, he's going to need to go to a place where he has time to develop because he's very raw and he needs to be able to move inside and kind of move around on that defense. And this is really the perfect spot for him. And Ed Oliver is going to take a lot of attention away from him as well. Yeah. Ed Oliver, Jerry Hughes, like they have good guys behind him. Like he's, he's a good fit there. And it hurts my feelings because a lot of the players I like went to teams I didn't like, but to be fair, I'm a Patriots fan. So there's like 28 teams I don't like. So I feel like if you're a true Patriots fan, you hate almost everybody outside of New England just from years of building it up. But yeah, who was your last guy? You should probably have this figured out, but it's Jeremiah. (laughs) J-O-K. I mean, he's exactly the last piece that the Browns needed on that defense. There was nothing else missing. They had no man coverage linebackers at all. And they got the best one in the draft in the third round. Side on side on speed. You can cover guys in the slot as a linebacker, tight ends, whatever. Ask him to do it all. Oh, and that defensive line? Yeah, he's not going to have to worry about linemen getting to him. Perfect spot for him. He's going to succeed there. So I'm going to use this as a little bit of a segue too, because our next segment was who had the best draft classes overall who had our favorite classes and one of mine was actually the cleveland browns in large part because they got jok in the second round and i think it's like interesting i think i said third but it it was second yeah he was second round uh pick 20 number 50 pick number 52 overall overall yep and this is a guy that like almost every analyst had a first round grade on and he ends up falling and i think a large part of him falling is that team saw how Isaiah Simmons struggled in Arizona last year. And they kind of look at it and they're like, well, that's another guy who's a little undersized and doesn't really have a position per se. Isaiah Simmons is 20 pounds heavier than him. (laughs) That's true. Maybe undersized is the wrong word. It's another guy who doesn't really have like a position or whatever. And a guy who kind of like moves all around and has a lot of variability and blah, blah, blah. First of all, it's stupid. It's kind of stupid to compare them. Cause like you said, Isaiah Simmons is 20 pounds heavier than JOK is. And mm-hmm. also if you look at like a high pick from last year, who's a rookie and say, Oh, that rookie struggled. I'm not going to draft this other rookie. That's just dumb. Like, yeah. Why hold that against a guy who's in this year's draft class? Just because someone that you comped him to doesn't think that like didn't, end up being great in his first year well and also you have to kind of look closer at that situation as well because i know that so there's a lot of people out there who say if you don't know what a player is don't draft him and i think that's dumb you look at isaiah simmons and yeah you might not know what his position is but you can see all these different things that he's capable of doing so stop trying to slap a label on him and just put him in positions to do the things that he's good at. That's all you got to do. And it was very clear that the Cardinals had no idea what to do with him initially. And then they ended up benching him after like a couple of games. And as the season went on, you know, those last like six, seven games, he actually played pretty well. So 
you you can't just say like, oh, he had a bad rookie season, so clearly it didn't work. Well, the coaching staff kind of fucked it up, and he improved for before the end of the season. So I wouldn't say that draft pick was a failure. Let's give it some time and see if it continues to grow because the issue wasn't necessarily the player's skill set. Two things. One, it's the old Bill Belichick saying, don't tell me what he can't do. Tell me what he can do, and then I'll put him in a position to succeed. Isaiah Simmons is not like an outside linebacker. I'm not going to just make him play outside linebacker. And same thing with JOK. JOK, if they just say that, like, okay, you're the outside linebacker now. Here's what you're going to do. Here's all the traditional outside linebacker stuff. Then he's going to fail because one of his best, one of the best aspects about him is that he has so much variability and can move all over the defense and can cover so many positions. Saying I say Simmons struggled at linebacker. Well, no shit. He's very played linebacker. He came into college as a safety moved him down to linebacker, but really they kept moving him all over the defense. He's barely played there. But you look at how long that guy's arms are, yeah, he's going to be able to play linebacker because eventually he's going to learn how to use those arms to keep everybody off of him. So stop looking at players and saying, oh, well, they struggled there, so they'll never be able to do that. No, look at what their traits are, what their skills are, and figure out whether or not – these are things that can be coached up and can be improved upon. Because if you're telling me that a dude with like 34 inch arms at linebacker won't be able to keep linemen off him, you can teach that. The dude's already like 240 pounds. You can teach that. Isaiah Simmons was a rookie last year. Like, of course he's going to struggle. All rookies struggle. And You know, he may have like, quote unquote, struggled more than most because he got benched and then like came on and played the end of the season. But that's not to say that he can't come back this year and be fantastic. So like, what is JOK's stock change if Isaiah Simmons is way better this year? Like, are people like, oh, should have drafted him higher. Look at Isaiah Simmons. He's having a great year, too. Well, and he's going to look great this year because he's going to have Zayvon Collins absorbing all the blocks. I know. I think JOK is a really good pick. Uh, especially with the value. And then do you just picture him spying Lamar Jackson when they play the Ravens twice a year? Oh God! You know, we talked a lot about how the NFL is going towards more mobile quarterbacks and that a really good quality of JOKs is that he's a perfect spy on quarterbacks because of his speed and his kind of his coverage ability and his quick feet. They're going to use him to spy on Lamar Jackson twice a year and the Ravens are not going to like it. Not one bit. Nope. But Like I said, I I like the Browns class as a whole as well, uh, especially their first four picks. Greg Newsom at 26 overall, pairing him up with Denzel Ward in that secondary is going to be nice. Like he's going to be a really nice second corner. uh, Granted that he stays healthy because that's the big concern with him. He's also Greg Newsom is also one of my big fish, small pond theory guys. Northwestern just had their best year ever in football. And he was a big part of that because of how good he was on defense. So I like him to be a pretty good NFL player. And then James Hudson uh, with the fifth pick in the fourth round, he's a developmental tackle prospect, but he has a lot of potential. Like the guy's got a lot of raw power, a lot of raw potential. Um, 
And then they took Anthony Schwartz too in the third round who like a lot of people are kind of hating on that pick because he's kind of a developmental receiver. Like he's kind of more of a project, but he's been described as a track star who runs routes and he kind of adds a speed element to that offense that they don't really have right now, especially if they end up trading Odell Beckham. So I like that. I like them adding a deep threat. Yeah. And like, also keep in mind that you can look at that roster now and say, okay, well, they're, they're set at receiver. Why are you, why are you trying to add on there? But the reality is that Landry and or, Odell are probably going at least one, if not both of them will probably be gone in the next year or two, because that receiver room is going to get really expensive really quick. And it's just not sustainable to put that much of your team's financial resources into one position group, as I mentioned with the lines and offensive line. So I just, I think, I think there's going to be changes to that wide receiver group and starting and seeing if you can get developmental guy to hit just seems to make sense right now. But outside of the top four, they just, I won't spend a ton of time on the back half of their draft, but just some interesting prospects. They did a good job adding depth to their defensive line with uh, the defensive tackle they took from Ohio state also in the fourth round. And then they get uh, Richard LeCount. In the fifth round, he was a safety from Georgia who not super athletic, but hyper productive at Georgia. And he was just one of those dudes that when he hit somebody at Georgia, you knew it whenever you were watching the game. And then finally, Dimitri, Dimitri Felton, the halfback slash wide receiver from UCLA in the sixth round. He, I heard he might have some issues making the roster, but I think if he does, he's like a real pure pass catching back. Like, a, you know, James White in New England doesn't really run the ball. He's just more of like a pass catcher. He could be another good third down option for them. I know they have Kareem Hunt, who's a great pass catcher as well. But, you know, he could end up just adding another aspect to that backfield. That could be pretty nice for them. So I like the draft overall. Yeah, you just reminded me of uh, back when Dallas was at Western and you didn't even have to be watching the game if you heard the hit you knew it was Dallas. You didn't even have to be in the stadium. I was sitting in my dorm and I heard this large, this loud crack. And I was like, oh, Dallas just hit somebody. <laughs> Hope that guy's okay. He was not. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> he was not. What yeah, do you got? So, what do you got? Who is, who's your favorite draft? So or one of your favorites? My, my first one that I came up with, I'm not sure if it's my favorite, but I really like what they did. So bear in mind, I'm evaluating this with them having some sort of plan at quarterback. I got the Denver Broncos. I know a lot of people probably want to rip on them for passing on Justin Fields. And I can understand where they're coming from. But without knowing if they're still working on a trade for Rodgers, or what's going on. Like, I just, I'm trying to not take that into account here. And I'm looking at what they had on their team already and what they added. 
And so with their first pick, they took Patrick Sertan, who just the way he plays, it reminds me a lot of Prince of Makamura. And the head coach, Vic Fangio, some of you may know, he was also the defensive coordinator for the Bears when they had that like historically good defense. And Vic Fangio likes to have more of a like press man, almost like ball denial corner on one side, which is exactly what Prince of Nakamura has been his entire career. And that's very much what Patrick Sertan does. And they added Kyle Fuller earlier this offseason, who, spoiler alert, he was also in Chicago. So they've got both aspects of the corner game that they typically like to have. And they can bump one of their corners inside to play nickel, which is great. And so they didn't add quarterback. Cool. If you get stuck without one of these high-profile quarterbacks, what do you do? Give them weapons. So they went out and got a running back who wakes up on game day and chooses violence. Yeah. (laughs) Javante Williams. My boy. Like, arguably the best running back in this draft. They honestly, you could argue, were set at running back coming into this draft. And they said, fuck it. (laughs) They saw that he was clearly the highest player on their board at this time. That's the only reason you make this pick. And I can't hate on it. Like, this is this is a guy who just makes people miss. And when you're worried about your quarterbacks, having a three-headed monster in your backfield, yeah, that's going to make things a lot easier for them. One thing on Javante Williams real quick. Yeah. I just want to throw this out there. I, I obviously love Javante Williams. He was on my players that I like list for the players I like podcast. It, it The only thing I'd say about it is that it's a little rich for a halfback still. But like, if you're going to choose one, at least they chose the violent guy who's going to just hit the crap out of people. Like, I like him. Like we said, Javante Williams is here for a good time, not a long time because of how physical he is. But he, uh, you know, he's obviously my favorite back. I, my bold prediction, quote unquote, before the draft was that Javante Williams is going to be the best back in this draft. Kind of torn on it just because of value. But so I, I could argue that with you right now, but instead of that, I'll, I'll rephrase it this way. What if you flipped the Devante Williams pick with the Quinn Miners pick? I, I'd still say it's maybe too high for Quinn Miners, but I see what you're saying. Like if you, if you mean, get Quinn Miners there and then get Javante Williams in the third, you probably feel better about the value because of their positions. But yeah, I mean, Quinn Miners is good value. in the those, third. those picks together, like, they dramatically improved their running game, I would say. Because Quinn Miners was whooping ass at the senior bowl. And I I understand why he might have fell a little bit. But if he had gone mid-second round, no one would have blinked. Like he was probably the third or fourth best interior offensive lineman in this draft. So, I mean, getting high-profile cornerback, arguably the number one running back in the draft, one of the top interior offensive linemen in the draft, and then they get a developmental, potentially cover linebacker in Baron Browning. That's a really, really good 
first four picks. And then you go down to the sixth round. I knew this was coming. Yep. Sorry, the fifth round. Yep, fifth round, pick number 164 overall. Yeah, I don't do so good with numbers. (laughs) That's okay. Actually, I have it up up in front of me or else I wouldn't know either. Yeah, and they got my favorite player in this entire draft. And, like, safety is not a huge need for the Broncos right now, today. But they got Justin Simmons for the foreseeable future, who's great. They Kareem Jackson is their other starting safety, and he's only on a one-year deal. The dude's getting long in the tooth. They need someone to replace him. And they brought in both Caden Stearns and Jamar Johnson. They they're gonna come up with an answer for that, that safety of the future. And also they gave themselves viable options to go with three safety sets. Like that defense has a lot of opportunities of what they can do in this upcoming season. So I feel like they improve their offense with the offensive line and the running back pick. And then also they got Seth Williams later, who I think was a pretty solid wide receiver uh, prospect too, not that they were hurting in the wide receiver room. And so, yeah, do could they have improved their quarterback room? Certainly, but we don't know what's going on behind the scenes there. So I'm willing to wait and see what that looks like. But they improved their offense as a whole, for sure. And they filled holes on that defense. And if Nick Chubb and Von Miller stay healthy, watch out for that defense. Yeah, I thought the only other thing I wanted to say about their class is that I feel like we talked about this uh, on the Mock Draft podcast, but I kind of still feel like it's too soon to give up on Drew Locke. Like, I know a lot of the statistics are on him last year are bad and the advanced statistics community doesn't like him, whatever, but he's shown flashes from the last couple of years that he can be like a serviceable to good NFL quarterback. So I think you should still see where you, where he takes you. And you know what, if you, if he's not doing great in spring training or you don't want to start him, you have Teddy Bridgewater now too, who is a, you know, already a serviceable to good starting NFL quarterback, especially with some of the weapons there. So, you know, assuming that they don't trade for Aaron Rodgers or, you know, they, I'm assuming they didn't love Fields or Mac Jones or else they probably make that pick there or they know they're getting Aaron Rodgers. So I'm, I'm not going to be harsh on them for passing up on a quarterback. Yeah. And I mean, the fact that no one was moving up for those guys, I think should kind of tell you how a lot of teams felt about those quarterbacks. And I just think that uh, you can't really rag on them too hard for passing on those quarterbacks because no one else was going for them except for Ryan Pace, who was willing to throw like seven years worth of first round picks at Russell Wilson. (laughs) Yeah. I don't don't know if I necessarily agree with the fact that the quarterbacks aren't good or that they shouldn't be valued prospects just because nobody else was trying to trade up for them. Like from what I've heard about the Patriots so far with, as far as like getting Mac Jones has been that they kind of felt that they could stay there and get him because of the way that the board was developing and that they didn't feel like they needed to trade up to get him. So 
you know, obviously the bears felt like they needed to trade up to get somebody, but how many teams down there really needed a quarterback bad enough to trade up like Washington, maybe, you know, it's not, not a whole lot of teams in the NFL right now who are really desperate for a quarterback that are picking between like 20 and 32. Yeah. I mean, I get that, but like there's the fact that none of them were willing to go up for him. And mind you, this is not a guy that like flew under the radar at all. Like if he was what he has been pumped up to be, someone goes and gets him before now, before 11, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's possible, but like, I'm just looking through all the teams right now. Who's going to go up and get him? Like maybe the saints are the saints going to invest that much in getting a quarterback. Okay. We're talking about a guy that like at one point people were talking about him potentially supplanting Trevor Lawrence as the number one pick. Like this is, this isn't someone that like clearly there's something going on that teams had serious questions about. That's the only way he drops out of the top 10. Because even Carolina passed on him, and I know they just traded for Sam Darnold, but if you love a quarterback, Sam Darnold's not going to stop you from drafting him. Yeah, but just because like the Panthers and Washington didn't love him enough to trade up for him, I guess I'm not going to like hate on the Bears for trading up for Fields just because nobody else traded up for him. I No, that's not what I was doing. I'm just saying that's why he fell there. I think it was a good move by the Bears. I called it a good move. But I think that it's very clear that you, you kind of got to give the Broncos the benefit of the doubt on deciding to pass on him because everyone else did. Uh, that's that's kind of more my point on that. It's yeah. not negative on Justin Fields and more like they had a guy they liked. They weren't completely sold on Justin Fields and they went with the guy that they liked. And I think that makes a lot of sense. They obviously didn't love Fields because they didn't take him. But I think that in a couple of years like this easily, we could come back here and look at the Panthers and the Broncos taking corners and leaving Fields and Mac Jones on the board. And just laughing at them and being like, what the hell were they doing? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I also think that it's fair to say that if Justin Fields doesn't work out in a couple of years, that doesn't necessarily mean that the Broncos and the Panthers were right. Because you and I have said it a million times, if the Bears take Pat Mahomes, he is not the same guy (laughs) that he is now. And Matt Nagy has not shown any sort of ability to develop quarterbacks thus far. So he would still be really good in Chicago, though. He may not be throwing 50 touchdowns a season or winning multiple Super Bowls there, but like, you know, he's talented enough where he would have been really good. But yeah, anyway. I think he, I think he would have been a lot more like Ryan Fitzpatrick. <laughs> Oof, I I don't know about that. But so my next team draft class that I really liked was the. I'm going to do it correctly this time. The LA Chargers. LA. I never get it right. And really, honestly, I would have given them an A plus for their entire draft just because they got Slater at 13. I would have been like, that's it. Pack it all up. We don't need to do the draft anymore. They get an A. 
But they also made a couple of good picks a little bit later. Uh, they end up getting Asante Samuel Jr. in the second, which they had Casey Hayward leave in the offseason, the corner. So they desperately need to find some kind of replacement for him on defense. So that's a good start for them. Uh, and then Josh Palmer and Trey McKitty. Josh Palmer is a big physical receiver and kind of helps add, you know, they both those guys help add big physical targets for uh, Justin Herbert. And then obviously Trey McKitty, tight end from Georgia after Hunter Henry leaving, filling it with him, uh, filling that position with him in the third. Like he has potential to be a really good uh, starting tight end in the NFL as well. So some of the later picks, I think, are a little bit more questionable in their draft, but like top half of their draft, I think they killed it. Yeah. I mean, they accomplished the only goal that mattered. And that goal was get help. It's just, yeah, just build around Herbert, protect Herbert, get help around him. But yeah, you can worry about all that other stuff in the future. But this year was about getting that support around him. The only other thing I want to say about this division is if Aaron Rodgers does get traded to the Broncos, how lit is this division going to be? With It's going to be a fucking bloodbath. Oh my God. The Chiefs, the Broncos with Rodgers, and then the Chargers. Like poor Raiders, man, just folded in. Jeez. When David Carr is the worst quarterback in your division, yikes. <laughs> it's a tough division. But all right. You got any other teams drafts you want to talk about or you want to? Go to the bad things. Uh, one more. So I'll quickly go over the Jets because, I mean, they really nailed their first few picks. Uh, Zach Wilson, he was my QB too. Enough said. <laughs> Super high upside. They drafted Elizabeth Tucker, as we talked about earlier. They traded up for him. I honestly don't hate their tackle situation as it is, but – he could be an upgrade at right tackle, or he could upgrade the interior of their offensive line. Uh, really important. And also, the mobility that he has allows them to do stuff in the run game that a lot of uh, interior offensive linemen are just not physically capable of doing. So this is about more than providing protection for Zach Wilson. This is about making that running game be like unstoppable like it is in San Francisco. Whether or not that happens, we'll see, but that's clearly the goal here. And then they get probably the best slot receiver in the entire draft with Elijah Moore. I mean, I feel like just about every fan base was hoping they could steal him in the second round, and the Jets were the one to do it. The 34th pick, like really early second round, so that dashed a lot of hopes and dreams. And then they get Michael Carter who was the running back mate for a particular running back who chooses violence. This is the first Michael Carter they drafted because yeah. they did draft they also two. drafted Michael Carter the second out of Duke. Yeah, they both played in North Carolina too. It's funny that like they drafted two Michael Carters. One of their names is Michael Carter the second. <laughs> and one went to North Carolina and Michael Carter two went to Duke. Like obviously our tribal schools, very interesting situation. Yeah. And then after that pick, a lot of their picks are kind of crap shoots. Honestly, I don't hate the, the Pinnock pick, uh, but the corner out of Pitt. Pinnock pick from Pitt. 
Yes. Good God. <laughs> Say that three times fast. I, I refuse. <laughs> I mean, he's really toolsy. He's got all the physical stuff that you want. Like, he, There's a lot of potential there. And really, at the end of the day, after like the fourth round, all of your picks are really crapshoots anyways. So if you nail your first four picks, that's a good draft. I don't yeah. really know after that. I'm going to say this through gritted teeth, but I thought, like you said, like they had a really nice draft, at least through the first four rounds. Uh, You know, Zach Wilson, that was obvious, but we talked about aggressive mentality fitting in with the new coaching staff. We talked about Vera Tucker Tucker a little bit earlier. Elijah Moore, I'm very jealous that they got him in the second round because I think that's going to be a great pick for them. And he fits really well with Corey Davis and uh, Jamison Crowder, who are both there still. And then Michael Carter, like we talked about the need for them to get a running back in this draft. And they were like the only team that was smart about it and waited until the fourth round to get a guy who has potential to be really good in the NFL. And he, he can catch passes too. Like he's going to be a good pass catching back for Wilson. Yeah. And he's a, he's a perfect fit for that system too. Uh, which is why I mocked Etienne to them in the first, but they went with a watered down version of that. And I mean, if they have the same Shanahan magic, he's probably going to be just as productive. So, yeah, he has a chance to be really good there. The, the second half of the draft, I think, is extremely questionable. But like you said, the, if you hit anything in the second half of your draft, like rounds five through seven, like that's just like gold for you. That's awesome. But if you don't, it's not going to break your team. Like this more about adding depth than it is anything else. So we did teams that we thought had the best drafts and our favorite picks. And the last thing we wanted to talk about before we get Carlos on here to do a little homer corner is picks that we, I don't, I don't want to say didn't like, I feel bad, like saying like, I don't like these prospects or I don't like the fits or whatever. I, I don't feel bad saying <laughs> picks. But I think there is like a couple picks that were extremely questionable, like not only from a value perspective, but also like just what are you doing not addressing other needs? And the first one of those was <clears throat> the Pittsburgh Steelers drafting Najee Harris uh, 24th overall. Like everybody and their mother knew this was going to happen because it was, it was like mocked all over the place the last couple of days. Like it was lots of reports. The Steelers were targeting him and the Steelers got their guy. And it's like, congratulations. You guys drafted a running back after you were 31st in the NFL and run blocking last year. Like there's only 32 teams in the NFL. So being 31st in the NFL is pretty awful. And then they also lost multiple offensive linemen this off season. So like your line is getting worse. And instead of addressing it with like Tevin Jenkins was still on the board at this point too. Like there's still like really good offensive line prospects on the board and you decide you're going to go running back because James Connor is now with the cards. Yeah. I mean, this was one of those six where I was just like, what the hell? Like what is going on here? Because as you mentioned, they're losing offensive line and they're taking a running back who's going to have no one to block for them. And I get that Kevin Colbert has had success picking offensive linemen later in the draft, but like, 
how often are you going to go to that well and expect it to not run dry? Because eventually it's going to. And by the way, you also have an aging quarterback with a dead arm. And yeah, sure, picking a running back behind a crappy offensive line, that's going to save your franchise. So they end up drafting a guard in the third round and then a tackle in the fourth round. But it's like, man, you guys needed way more than that. And you could have waited on a running back. And they went with Fryermuth in the second, which good player, good value. But like, is that really your most important need? Probably not. Yeah. And then my other pick that was a big head scratcher for me in the first was the Jaguars taking Travis Etienne. And like, I get it. You want to reunite Lawrence and Etienne, Etienne, however, I'm going to say it wrong either way. But like, you have so many holes on your team, and you already have James Ingback, who ran for over a thousand yards as an undrafted free agent last year. Like, you don't need to be spending a first round pick on a running back. It just doesn't make sense to me. And like just the history of spending first round picks on a running back is so bad. When you look at who else they could have had with that pick. And I'll give you a few examples. In 2020, the first running back off the board was Clyde Edwards Hilaire at 32. And he was not only drafted ahead of Jonathan Taylor, who went in the second round and ended up being amazing for the Colts this year. But they also drafted him in front of guys like Antoine Winfield Jr., who they really could have used this season. Like, there's come on, guys. Matt just threw the peace sign in my face because that's what he did to Tyreek Hill in the Super Bowl, which was amazing. But you know, they they could have taken, and I know this is like this is all gonna be like, oh, in a perfect world, they would have taken these guys. I'm just saying the opportunity was available. They could have had Antoine Winfield Jr. in the first and then drafted Antonio Gibson in the third, who would have been a way better fit for that team anyway, with the skill set that he brings and how good he was in Washington this year. In 2019, Josh Jacobs was the first running back taken at number 24. And they easily could have had Miles Sanders in the second or Damian Harris in the third. And like Josh Jacobs is good, don't get me wrong, but they could have had someone like AJ Brown at that pick. So like, who would you rather have? Josh Jacobs and whoever else they got or AJ Brown and Damian Harris. Like, come on. Uh, Here's my last two 2018 Saquon Barkley was taken with the first pick or with the uh, second pick overall, but he was the first running back off the board. He was selected ahead of Josh Allen, Denzel Ward, Quentin Nelson, Mika Fitzpatrick and guys like Nick Chubb were taken in the second round. It's just like there, there's opportunity to get a good running back later. My last one to throw in here, just for all the Pats fans listening, uh, Sony Michelle was taken in the first round in 2018 over Lamar Jackson, Darius Leonard, and Cortland Sutton. All guys I would love to have on the Patriots right now instead of Sony Michelle. It just there's opportunities to get guys later in the draft at running back. It's a position like point guard in the NBA where if you don't have an elite, elite one you can just grab one. And there's so many of them that play that position that are so good that it's fine. But to highlight my point even more, these are probably five of the top running backs in the league right now. They were five of the top rushers from last season. They're like five of the top seven from last season. And they were all drafted outside of the first round. Dalvin Cook, 41st overall. Derrick Henry, 45th overall. Alvin Kamara, 67th overall. 
Aaron Jones, 182nd overall. And then Nick Chubb was also a second rounder. So there was no first round running backs in that group. And like part of that, yes, is because Saquon Barkley was hurt last season. He could have been really good. And then Christian McCaffrey was hurt last season as well. Those guys are both first round running backs. But like the point is that you don't need to be taking running backs in the first round. It just doesn't make sense to me. And it's just bad from a value perspective. Yeah, I I don't love this pick either. And my justification for it is where less where Travis Etienne was taken and more Urban Meyer's justification for it. (laughs) Because he came out and said that he already likes the two running backs they already had on the roster. And he sees Etienne's role in that unit as the third down back. So down back is a first round worthy position. <laughs> like that's not going to happen. He's not just going to be the third down back on that team, yeah, but I do agree with him. You can't do that. <laughs> I know. Well, I do agree with him though. I like the guys that you already had in the running back room and you have so many needs. If you're Jacksonville, like we talked about how bad that was literally the one position that I would not have taken there. It was like the only position that they didn't need somebody. I like their wide receivers and I still would have taken one there. (laughs) Well, we talked about how bad their pass rush was last season and they take Etienne at 20 or Etienne at 25. And then like Peyton Turner, Gregory Russo, uh, Oway, and then Joe Tyron all go right after him. Like all guys that I would have told you, that's a great pick. If you pick them at 25, except for maybe Oway because we talked about him, but like Joe Tyron falling to the bucks. Like that probably should have been the 25th pick, you know, and there's guys like we can keep going into the second round. Like Tevin Jenkins was still on the board and Elijah Moore was still on the board. You could have had him like who uh, else was there? I'm Uzurike. I was. Yeah. Or is I can't say that name on Uzurike. I can uh, say that, but I can't say Isaiah Simmons. It's yeah. Justin Simmons. <laughs> Landon Dickerson, Trayvon Morig. Uh, Richie Grant, Christian Barmore, like all of these guys would have been better picks for you than a running back. Like one, because of positional need and two, because of value. And it just doesn't make any sense to me, especially if he's going to be the third down back. So those are the biggest head scratchers for me. I'm not not even saying Travis Etienne is going to be a bad player. Like he could be really good there. And we could still look at this in a couple of years and be like, yeah, that's great. But like, why? Yeah, that one, and the Kadarius Tony one to the Giants also doesn't make any sense to me, because if that's the type of player that you want that badly, then why not take someone else with that pick and then go with like Rondale Moore in the second round? That yeah. just makes a lot more sense. It's another tough one, but. But all right, so we will be right back. We're going to grab Carlos, and we're going to do a little homer corner for about 15 minutes. Yankalito. All right, we are back, and Carlos is here to help us do homer corner, where we talk about our team's specific drafts. We're going to start with Carlos, because we didn't really spend a lot of time on the Bears earlier, knowing that he was going to be on later, so... Carlos, how are you feeling about the Bears draft and your new franchise quarterback in Justin Fields? Well, 
a complete 180 from the last time I was on. Um, before the draft, you know, empathy was what I felt about the Chicago Bears. Didn't really think they had much going on. Um, think me and the whole Chicago Bears fan base was ready for a complete restart, firing Ryan Pace, firing Matt Nagy. And then Thursday happens. A really bold move on his part, trading up to get Justin Fields. And, you know, it's a celebration. Uh, we have a quarterback that we could look forward to. We'll see whenever he gets on the field. But, you know, now it's something to look forward to as far as a franchise quarterback, someone that you hope can actually play better than the 100-plus years of quarterback play that we've had. And, you know, the the floor for Justin Fields to be one of the best quarterbacks of the Chicago Bears is pretty low. And I hope he reaches that floor and exceeds it by a significant margin because uh, what Justin Fields proved in college um, he's a proven quarterback. He played well in big games. He played at a top-tier college. And so everything about Justin Fields just, you know, there's so much to be excited about him. There's so much to be excited about um, what he can do in a Matt Nagy offense. So just completely, completely you know, looking forward to when he gets on the field. You know, and he's got an extra game to uh, surpass that 4,000-yard threshold that hasn't been broken by the Bears either. So he's got a bit of a leg up on everyone else. Yeah, I mean, if, like I said, the history of Bears quarterback is not that uh, great. So, you know, I would expect him to pass it in whenever he gets his first full year starting. Are are the Chicago Bears the only team that's never had a 4,000-yard passer? In the history of the Chicago Bears, there's never been a 4,000-yard passer nor or a 30-touchdown passing quarterback. Oh, my goodness. So if he, like, comes out year two and has 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns, like, is the Chicago fan base just going to lose it? Yeah. Uh, he would be cemented. That would be the greatest quarterback season the Bears have ever had. He would be cemented as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time that put on a Bears jersey. So uh, the the city of Chicago would freak out, to say the least. Yeah, it's so it is. You're absolutely right. It's a big swing by those guys in the front office and the coaching staff to trade up and grab this guy, especially in a draft where it seemed like a lot of teams didn't want to give up future picks to move up the board. And like it's a job saver and uh, really putting all of their jobs on the line, because if this doesn't work out, then like you said, everybody's gone. This is the second quarterback they've traded up for. And honestly, like they've put a ton of capital into quarterbacks over the last couple of seasons, as far as picks are concerned, like trading up for fields, trading up for Trubisky and didn't they traded picks for Foles and Dalton as well. Didn't they, or did they sign Dalton? Yeah, they traded for Foles and then signed Dalton. And it, it just goes back to a complete 180 on Ryan Pace. Um, I, Everybody was just mad at Ryan Pace for how he handled the quarterback situation, and it all started with Trubisky. And, you know, as a general manager, if you take out the quarterback position, he did an okay job. He built that defense to a really strong defense. The 2018 year, you know, you had one of the best defenses of all time. But 
when you add that quarterback 2017 draft class, that's a fireable offense, in my opinion, to draft Trubisky over um, Mahomes and Watson. And for some reason, ownership kind of gave him a vote of confidence at the end of the season press, press conference. And then he goes and signs Andy Dalton. So then at that point, it's just kind of like furious, you know, emotions. You know, you could have had Andy Dalton a year ago when he was released from Cincinnati. <clears throat> and then you wouldn't have had to trade for Foles. You wouldn't have, would have to take his contract from Jacksonville. You wouldn't have had to give up a fourth-round pick or whatever the draft capital was. And now you're stuck with Foles, and now you're stuck with Andy Dalton. And, you know, going into the draft, you had the number 20 pick. So there was, like, not a lot to look forward to. And I think everybody thought they were on the hot seat. Um, you know, there's like this rumor going on that in Chicago and Chicago media that uh, ownership and executive management actually gave Ryan Pace a contract extension because they would not acknowledge how long their contract lengths were. So if, that were the case, maybe maybe that is the case. And Ryan Pace felt, you know, he could take another shot at a quarterback. And I, I guess that's what happened. Um, I think we definitely have at least two more years of Pace and Nagy. Um, you have this kind of failing out period with uh, what's going to happen with Justin Fields. Uh, maybe Andy Dalton plays six games a season. Maybe he plays the whole season. But, you know, after that, he was on a one-year contract and you're giving the keys to Justin Fields in 2022. So I would expect both of them to at least be here and, you know, we'll see what happens. <clears throat> yeah, well, I know how you feel in the long search for a quarterback because I had to suffer through a whole year of camp before we got our next franchise guy. So I'm yeah, right and, there. I'm right there know, with you. Long suffering. <laughs> Yeah, and to speak on Mac Jones to you guys, it, the draft it kind of just felt it felt nicely for both the Bears and for New England. You know, you see Trey Lance getting drafted number three overall, and you know it was is Trey Lance going to be there? Is Mac Jones going to be there? And then you had all these choices that kind of were surprising. Once you saw that Denver didn't pick a quarterback, Philly traded up, and it's just like. Mac Jones and Justin Fields are on the board past 10. I think everybody was just like, oh, this is a perfect chance for the Bears to move up. And they kind of just, you know, the, the pieces just fell into place for Pace to move up. And, you know, secondary New England got to get Mac Jones too. So, <laughs> yeah, dude, I was I was thrilled, but I almost shit my pants twice during the draft because <laughs> like you said, so there's two quarterbacks left on the board and there's only like four picks ahead of New England. And I was like, there's I was yeah. like, we're, we're going to get one. We're not going to get one without moving. And then the Bears trade up and take fields. And I was like, oh, God, there's only yeah. now there's one quarterback with three picks. Yeah. And like I was oh. saying to Matt earlier, they, the Jets traded right ahead of us. But I was watching the Vikings, then all of a sudden the trade thing pops up, and I was like, this is going to be Washington. I know they're going to jump to 14. But, yeah, that was, I was and thrilled. I'm thrilled that we got Mac Jones without moving. One of the things that came out, I think it was today or yesterday, that Minnesota was actually looking at drafting Justin Fields in the first round. And 
thank God, you know, Ryan Pace had the foresight to, granted, you give up two first-round picks this year, this past draft and next year's, a fourth and a fifth to move up nine places. But I think that is so much better than the, the Trubisky trade because you're number three and you you know, all the draft capital to move up one spot where San Francisco wasn't even looking at a quarterback. So, um, yeah, I thought this trade was a lot better for Ryan Pace. And, you know, I feel like this time he had Matt Nagy to bounce ideas off of because there were all indications from the Trubisky draft. Ryan Pace kind of wouldn't even let his – head coach who was John Fox at the time now nah, John Fox who was the head coach at the time he didn't let him know who he was looking towards drafting and I think Ryan Pace was the only person other than ownership he was probably the only person that knew who he was going to take and that obviously blew up in his face because you, know, you didn't have someone to tell him no that's a bad idea don't draft Trubisky I think this go around you know, he had Matt Nagy, who Matt Nagy was a big part in drafting Pat Mahomes in 2017 for Kansas City. And so when you have somebody that, I mean, this is all us just saying, we're assuming Matt Nagy is this quarterback guru type guy. And, yeah. you know, I'm hoping that he is, and we'll see, because this, this uh, Justin Fields pick kind of has Matt Nagy's fingerprints all over it. Yeah, that that aspect of the quarterback guru really – remains to be seen because unfortunately we just didn't see that development with Trubisky but uh even after that pick you guys followed it up with some really nice gets uh Tevin Jenkins was yeah one of my favorite players in the draft I mean the dude just you know we talked about Devontae Williams waking up and choosing violence Tevin Jen- Jenkins goes to bed with violence and then wakes up even more violent. <laughs> the whole draft, you kind of just give credit to Ryan Pace. You know, all the mock drafts had Jenkins going to the Bears at 20. The Bears traded up and didn't give up a second or third round pick to trade up. So you still had those two picks. Pace saw that Jenkins was falling and traded the second and that second and third to move up to get Jenkins. And I think it was like 37, somewhere around there. So, so now, like I said, talking about a whole 180 on the future of the franchise, if these guys pan out and they just released Charles Leno Jr., your starting left tackle. <clears throat> so I think the thought is you're going to put Jenkins at left tackle to start him this year. And if these guys pan out, if they're solid to above average to really good to great, you have the two most important positions locked down in left tackle and quarterback for the next 10 to 15 years on the offensive side. And if, like I said, if this, you're putting a lot of expectations on these young guys, but if they can provide some stability at these positions, I mean, hope maybe you can unlock Matt Nagy's offense and maybe, the Chicago Bears offense, something you would never, ever, ever expect to hear to say. Maybe the Chicago Bears offense can be one of the best offenses in the NFL. Yeah, if you have a really good left tackle and a good quarterback, like 
you can absolutely build off of that. That's like you said, the most, the two most important positions on your offense and the two building blocks that you're going to build a successful future offense off of. So, and they, they already got a player on their roster that I think is actually a really nice fit for one of Justin Fields strengths, because while I have questions about his ability in the short game, Justin Fields throws a real pretty deep ball and Darnell Mooney, he can get behind some guys. Yeah, Darnell Mooney, he had a great rookie season last year. A kid that can run a 4-3-4-4, really, really fast, blows the top off. And, and you saw it last year where he was beating the secondary and he would be wide open and either Mitch or Foles don't see it or they just completely miss. So I'm excited to see what Mooney can do. Um, another guy I'm excited for, they drafted in the sixth round was uh, Des Newsom from North Carolina, another guy who runs a 4-4. So you're putting the pieces in place, Sands, Kansas City, just guys that can run really, really fast, just quick guys. And 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 to top it off, you still have Ellen Robinson, who's just going to be your solid, solid wide receiver who's going to get you who's going to move the change who's going to get you a thousand yards every single year and this is going to the crazy thing is I was thinking about this this is going to be Allen Robinson's best quarterback he's ever played with since like his whole wide receiver career because if you think about it he had Mitch he had Foles and then Bortles and then yeah and in college he had Christian Hackenberg it's not that far-fetched to say that Justin Fields is already going to be his best quarterback he's ever played with. Well, let's put it this way. He better be the best quarterback that Allen Robinson's ever played yeah. with. Or else yeah, everybody true. in Chicago gets fired. Yeah, true. And, you know, obviously you guys can tell just like how just the excitement I have for this guy. You know, uh, uh, my wife yeah, is me telling too. me, she, she, you know, she's like, is it really that big of a deal? you guys drafted this guy and I was like this is probably one of the biggest Chicago sports moments since like the Cubs won the World Series this is how huge this is the Bears have never had a franchise quarterback the Bears have never had an all-pro quarterback that just consistently you know when you think about the best quarterbacks in the league Fields has that potential to be one of the top quarterbacks and so you know all of Chicago's excited. I'm excited. and We'll see what happens. And, you know, like I said, hats off to Ryan Pace for this draft class. Yeah, the only other guy that we didn't mention, uh, Khalil Herbert in the sixth round as well, running back from Virginia Tech. He's either, one, going to be a really nice one-two punch with David Montgomery, or he's going to take over the backfield because he's really good. Play Aaron Jones four times a year. Because <laughs> that, that's what he reminds me of. Yeah. Well, we will see what happens. I think uh, initially the thought is to make him a returner because, I mean, don't forget, we still have Tariq Cohen. And Tariq Cohen's that um, shifty, you know, change of pace back. And, I mean, David Montgomery, even with as poor uh, offensive line he had last year, still ran for over a 1,000 yards. So uh, I'm not expecting um, – him to come in right away and start taking carries from well maybe from Cohen and you use Cohen more as a I don't know that Tyreek Hill ish poor man's 
but definitely another interesting piece. We'll see what they do with him. Um, I expect him and Cohen to take Cordell Patterson's snaps that for some reason Matt Nagy thought it would be a good idea to give a wide receiver uh, 15 touches a game from the backfield. So <laughs> thank God that – not that – I am a big Cordell Patterson fan, but thank God he's not on the team, so I don't have to see that anymore. Really good draft overall. So I'm excited for you. I know Matt's not because you're in his division. So yes, okay. (laughs) Matt, you want to touch on the you want to touch on the Lions real quick before we sign off? Yeah, we can go into it more in depth uh, in another episode. I think you and I are kind of thinking about doing some little mini pods for our teams, but. Uh, real quick, going over the Lions draft, they started off with Penny Sewell, uh, the big Penny. And, the big uh, Penny, I love it. You know, some GMs were saying he's the most likely player in this draft to end up being a Hall of Famer. Um, obviously, he's got to go out and play, but he's super high upside. He makes our offensive line elite right off the bat. Uh, and then they followed up with uh, Levi Anuzarike, the uh, defensive tackle from Washington. And honestly, he was the best penetrating defensive lineman, interior def- defensive lineman in this entire draft. And that is something that the Lions have lacked sorely ever since Ndamukong Sue left. Um, and even to a lesser degree, uh, like fairly, even though he wasn't all that good. Like, we just haven't had any. And I feel like Matt Patricia tried to do that, but failed utterly as he did with everything else he did, except for eating seven-layer bean dip. Um, and then in the third round, we had a couple picks, and we went right back to that defensive line well and took Aline McNeil, who's, a, you know, when I first watched him, I just saw him as a nose tackle. I'm like, okay, didn't really love him. But as I watched more and more of him, this dude, for as big as he is and being a nose tackle, he moves really, really well. He's shifty. He's got some pass rushing, rushing potential. So we're building up that defensive line, which is what the actually better Lions teams and earlier in the 2010s were built upon. So we're getting back to that, which I'm excited about. And then with uh, our later third round pick, we took, uh, I'm probably going to butcher this name, Ifetu Melifanu. Uh, I apologize to him and anyone else for any mispronunciation of that name, but uh, he is a super athletic corner, and he definitely could use some development, but for a third-round pick to get that kind of upside, because anytime you draft a guy who's got the physical ability to be a lockdown corner, that's a win in my book. And then we just got value the rest of the draft. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, I would have been happy with in the late second round. Really, really good receiver out of uh, USC reminds me a lot of Keenan Allen in a lot of ways. And then followed that up on literally the very next pick. 
with uh, Derek Barnes out of Purdue. And uh, he is just very athletic, uh, has a history of actually playing uh, edge, but he transitioned to the Mike linebacker. And so he's actually shown that he's got a pretty good sense uh, while playing linebacker of understanding like what the defensive linemen need from him, which is really cool. So and he was expected to go like around earlier as well too. Really athletic guy. And then last pick was Jamar Johnson. Not Jamar Johnson. I think Brad Holmes misunderstood what I was saying when I was pounding the table for for Jamar Johnson. So I guess I need to speak more clearly. <laughs> but uh, he's a running back from Oregon State and Honestly, I thought he was going to go in like the fourth round. We slipped all the way to the seventh. Not super athletic, but just has really, really good vision. Uh, he's not like slow per se from when I watch him, but he's just really smooth and he, like bends his runs really well, even though it's not super sharp. He just manages to make guys be a little bit out of position with the way he runs and he's got some potential. I mean, it's a seventh round pick. Obviously some of these guys aren't going to work out, but every one of them I felt like could have gone earlier in the draft. So I'm excited about this class. Oh, the thing I like about the lions draft is that Dan Campbell came in and, you know, he said it a lot crazier than I'll say it, but he basically wants to set a certain tone and have a certain culture for the team. And that is, yeah, biting kneecaps and taking a chunk out of people. And that starts in the trenches and they're building from the inside out, which is my favorite way to build an NFL team. And they got some really good guys to start with. So, And Levi Anuzarike has a really good quote that I won't say on this podcast, but you should go look it up. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say the same thing, Ed. Um, you know, you got... You- Detroit got a new coach. They got a new GM. So it's definitely interesting to see their first draft and how they want to build a team. And just, you know, like how you said, you're building it from the trenches. You're building an O-line. You're building a D-line. And from the first three picks, you know, tackle, defensive tackle, defensive tackle, um, you guys, it it looks like that's how they're going to build the Detroit Lions from the inside out. And I think that's how you build a winning team. If you can win in the trenches, if you can, you know, push the offensive line back, or if you could push the defensive line back, you know, that's getting those extra few yards is how you win football games. So um, interested to see what else the Lions do and how else they going to finish up that roster that you guys got over there. Yeah. And, you know, especially the focus on those interior defensive linemen I'm a firm believer that I will take interior pressure over edge pressure 100 times out of 100 I will take Aaron Donald over every single day of the week so exciting times in Chicago and Detroit um you know unfortunately for you guys and everybody else in the NFL we drafted the next Tom Brady on the Patriots and we're going to go and win six more Super Bowls that's that's pretty much all there is. 
<laughs> so good luck to everybody else. You guys can pick up, you know, when we win six in the next 20 years, I guess there's 14 more that you guys can go for. So. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We're just trying to get to the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> Carlos is just trying to get a guy who throws for 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns. That is all talk about Super Bowl. It, is that, is that too hard to ask? <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's all we got for the draft podcast. But um, appreciate you guys doing this. I'm not going to I don't want to go into the Patriots draft too much because, like Matt said, I do have another mini pod coming out of the Patriots offseason recap, which is going to dive into everything in depth. So I don't want to step on that too much, but um, appreciate you guys doing this. We got that coming out soon might do like a little mini pod for the lions as well. And then uh, next week, Marshall is coming on to do some end of the NBA season stuff. So watch out for Marshall as well. All right, guys, good draft. Good pod. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you guys soon. Once again, Carlos suck it. You know, Adam suck it. Vikings and Packers fans suck it. (laughs) Likewise, except you, Matt, you suck it and lion. All right. See you guys. Bye. Bye.